And we've seen that in chapter 15. In chapter 16 and 17, we have the answer of Job. In the first five verses, we noticed uh, him dealing with their attitude that they had taken toward him and uh, that uh, they were miserable comforters, verse 2, uh, that uh, they need to place themselves in his place. And uh, if uh, they were where he was at, then he would try to be more understanding and, and say things that would be more helpful to them. And uh, so uh, we have his anguish described in verse 6 through 14, and we got through about verse number 8, and we'll bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study the Word of God Thank you, Lord, for these that have come out tonight, and I pray that we be strengthened in the Lord. Give me understanding and help me, I pray, to rightly divide the word of truth and communicate it in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we do not know what the future may hold for us. We do not know what we may be facing, but I pray that something may be said tonight to see us through the difficult times of life when they come, that these truths from the word of God would be strengthening to us have your way, Lord, and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, beginning with verse 9 down uh, through verse number 14, we have some very important scripture and I think some insight into uh, why Job is having to go through what he is going through. I hope you took time sometime this past week to read that. And if you did, it, it becomes very clear that it is not only speaking to Job's situation, but also is prophetic uh, in relation to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of that, I believe that one reason, I think there are other reasons, but I think one of the reasons that God has permitted this in the life of Job is to be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and to, uh, to illustrate the sufferings that he would endure. And we'll read some of these verses, and you will see that uh, in these verses. Uh, and uh, verse 9 says, He teareth me in his wrath who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemies sharpeneth his eyes upon me. Now, uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And that's what happened, of course, to Job. Job was rich, but he becomes poor, doesn't he? He loses it all, and therefore becomes a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We'll come back to verse 9 there in a minute and say some more about that. Uh, but in Philippians chapter number 2 and uh, verse 5, uh, Philippians 2, that's page 1258. Philippians 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now here is, uh, of course, another clear verse showing the uh, deity of Jesus Christ, that he was very God, equal with God, being in the form of God. But notice verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, 
took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, now here we have, uh, again, uh, Job, a type of Christ. Job uh, being rich, Job uh, uh, having this exalted position, and yet uh, when the devil gets through with him, he ends up with nothing. His wealth's gone, his health's gone, his family's gone, his friends turn against him. And here the Bible said Jesus came in the form of a servant, left the glories of heaven, the riches of heaven, to become a man, not just any man, but a servant, you know, uh, of the lowest of men. That's the position that Christ took. Uh, he didn't come as a king, but he came as a servant, and of course was nailed to a cross. Then verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what happened to Jesus? Jesus left heaven, left his riches, became poor, took the place of a servant, was nailed to a cross, but then rose from the dead, went back to heaven, and was exalted. And that's exactly what happens to Job. Job has all this wealth, has this exalted position, the greatest man in all these, gives it all up, loses it all. But in the end... <laughs> As you, if you read the last chapter, he gets twice as much as he had before. He gets his exalted position. And here God is, God is taking Job and using him, I believe, to teach the story of the Lord Jesus Christ back in those early days. And uh, this is a wonderful, uh, blessed truth. Well, let's go back now in verse 9 and read that verse again. He tareth me in his wrath who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. Now they did this to Jesus. Uh, the question, who was Job's enemy? Was he speaking of Eliphaz or Satan? I think he was speaking of both. Because I believe the devil was really using Eliphaz. Maybe, uh, you know, I think, I think a danger sometimes is to be an instrument in the hands of the devil and not even realize it. You know the story there of Peter. Uh, the Lord said, How, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, and uh, the disciples tell him, and uh, he said, Who do you say that I am? And, and uh, Peter said, That's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Then the Lord said, I've got to go to Jerusalem, be rejected and crucified, and rise again. Peter said, be that far from thee. This will not happen to thee. And uh, uh, the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. In one moment, Peter is an instrument in the hands of God uh, to, to say a great revelation, a great truth about God. And almost in the next breath, he, the devil is putting things into his mouth and into his mind that are not of the Lord. And I think this is what happened to these men, uh, that Eliphaz was really a tool, as well as these, these other fellows, uh, in the hand of Satan. 
Now, let me give you two or three more verses in relation to this in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 22, and uh, you may want to look there with me. We'll be looking back at this a couple of more times probably as we look through these verses. Psalm 22 is, is, is a, a very detailed description of the crucifixion. In fact, there are things brought out in Psalm 22 that are not even brought out in the four Gospels about the crucifixion. Uh, some of the things that Jesus went through when he hung on a cross. But in Psalm 22 and verse 13, he says, They get upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. You know, this gives you some idea of, of how angry they were with Jesus when he was crucified. They say the crucifixion was the most horrible death that has ever been invented by mankind. But it was more than just nailing him to a cross. The, the uh, events that led up to the cross, they were so angry that they literally bit him and gnashed upon him and gapped upon him uh, with, their, with their teeth, as we'll, we'll see. And here, of course, they spoke against him and, and raved against him with their mouth in words as well. In verse 7 and 8, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. And, of course, uh, you know, you study the uh, book of Matthew, and you'll find that literally fulfilled. Uh, in uh, Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 1 says, now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. And so they did. Now in verse 10 of Job, and we'll, uh, we'll look uh, some more of this uh, uh, picture of Jesus. Uh, they gnash on him with their teeth, verse 9 says. They sharpen their eyes against him. And they stare at him they, in mockery. And verse 10, they have gapped upon me with their mouth. And we saw that in Psalm 22. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. In uh, Psalm 35 and verse number 1, uh, verse 21, I'm sorry, Psalm 35, 21 Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, ere I hath seen it. Then in uh, Matthew uh, 26, we, uh, we see the literal fulfillment of this uh, in the crucifixion. In Matthew 26, verse 67 and 68, he says, uh, What thank you? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. That's verse 66 and verse... 67, then did they spin in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thy Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now this shows, uh, you know, I, for a person to spit on another person, uh, that's about, uh, you know, that's about as low as you get, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think I'd rather someone just come up and salt me in the nose than, than to spit, in, spit on my face. And uh, this shows, uh, you know, the, the uh, attitude of the world and the enemies of the Lord 
uh, when they were having him put to death there. And of course, the buffeted mean, Brother uh, Thomason pointed this out, I believe Sunday in Sunday school, simply meant ball up your fists and hit them. And, the, and then they smote him with the palms of their hands and make mockery of him, really, prophesying to us, who is, who is he that smote thee? And uh, this was uh, here the, the things that he went through. Now let's turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, and we see uh, a further description of this scene. Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. If you study, if you study when he was beaten and, and when he was brought back before Pilate after they had scourged him and they jerked his beard out and all this, that, uh, uh, that uh, he, was, he was so beaten, his face was so beaten, they literally hid their faces from him. And uh, it was such an awful... You know, the, the, the artists that have painted scenes or tried to paint scenes of the crucifixion, they, they show a little trickle of blood, you know, on maybe on each side of the forehead coming from the thorns. And, and where the spikes went through his hands, they show maybe a little, a little bit of blood there. Uh, but I'll tell you, it was a horrible scene. Uh, when they got through scourging him and when they got through beating his face, uh, you know, I, I, when Mr. Morgan had his surgery, I, I told the family, I said, now, uh, it is going to be very shocking. You know, the, when you see someone generally that's come out of heart, sur heart surgery, they're, uh, they're swelling, there's tubes uh, everywhere, and they're very pale and death-like, and, and that's, that's part of, of what, what a person goes through when they have that. Uh, but can you imagine the, what Jesus Christ, what his face looked like? I don't, think, I don't think they just patted him on the cheeks. They buffeted him. Uh, they, they beat him until uh, the psalmist said that, uh, that the bones were visible, uh, you know, after they scourged him. And they beat his face. His, what does he say there is his visage, that is, his face was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, that, uh, that his body was a bloody, I believe, swollen mess, and, and uh, the spittle and the, where the beard had been plucked out of his face was a horrible scene, I think, beyond description. I, I don't think our minds can comprehend what he must have looked like when they got through with him. And yet, with all of that beating and all that they put him through, they still were not satisfied and they screamed, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted him dead. Uh, this is certainly a picture of, of uh, the sin nature of man and uh, man's reaction to God. In, Psalm, in Isaiah 53, of course, is a... Uh, a description, a clear description of the Lord. Let's read a little bit of it in verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. 
And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And let me say uh, in verse 2 in passing there, I do not believe, he said there's no beauty that we should desire. I do not believe that that's saying that Jesus Christ was ugly. I've, I've heard preachers say that, that, uh, that this indicates that he was not a very handsome man. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe this is talking about the suffering of Christ. And uh, certainly when they got through with him, there was no beauty. No physical beauty, the beating and all that they put him through. But he said he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, uh, there, there's what I referred to a while ago. We hid as it were our faces from him. Uh, he's despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. For our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And then verse 10, you know, is somewhat hard to understand. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When I shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Here is a, is a very vivid description of the suffering of Christ. And the Bible said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That God got pleasure out of it. And of course the only way to understand that, you know, Hebrews said, who for the joy that was set, looking into Jesus, author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven there. And so this is why I believe that God got pleasure out of it. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because of what was going to be accomplished through that act of suffering. Thank God he was willing to do it for us. And this is a great and blessed truth. So in Job here, we have, uh, again, descriptive language that, uh, that uh, they, they tore him in, his, in their wrath. They hated him. They gnashed upon him with their teeth. Uh, they, they sharpened their eyes upon him. All these things. You read the account of the crucifixion. All these things happened. They gapped upon him. They, uh, they smit him on the cheek. And they gathered themselves together against, against me. 
And all these things are descriptions. Verse 11, God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. Well, that happened, didn't it? God allowed this to happen to Job just as God allowed it to happen to Jesus. And uh, we, we have this, uh, uh, this, this happening in, in Psalm 22. Back in Psalm 22, I see we'll be going back there. Uh, if I can find it again here, Psalm 22 and verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And of course you remember that as being spoken to Jesus uh, on, on the cross. You know, uh, it, it's somewhat hard for me to understand how that, uh, you know, how that the Jewish people uh, could not realize that, uh, you know, that Jesus Christ is really uh, the one promised in the Old Testament because Jesus uttered those very words when he was on the cross, just as the psalmist David had said he would. And then in, in Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And of course, God literally forsook him. And uh, that uh, Jesus, why, you say, why did that happen? This is the only account. If you'll study, if you study the life of the Lord, you will find this is the only account where that uh, Jesus called his father God. He always referred to him as father, uh, you know. But here he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And why does he use this terminology? I believe it's because he is dying our death. He's dying the death of the sinner. And God is not the father of the unsaved. And Jesus was made sin for us. Who killed Jesus? Well, the Jews killed him. The Romans literally nailed him to the cross. The Jews delivered him up to be crucified, lied on him, and uh, caused him to be crucified. In Acts 2, verse 23, it said, there's an interesting verse there that you might want to look at, Acts 2, 23, talking about Jesus. This is Peter preaching. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So Peter does not, uh, uh, you know, release them from any responsibility. They did, Peter says, you, you slew him. You, you nailed him to a cross, you slew him. But he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. And here we have uh, uh, the truth that uh, the only way Jesus could have been crucified was for him to willingly lay down his life uh, on the cross there. Okay, uh, let's move on now to uh, verse uh, 12 of Job 16. And he said, I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compassed me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. 
He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. Now, again, here is, I believe, a comparison not only of the sufferings of Job, who is a type of Christ, but a picture of what Christ went through. Christ, of course, was there in heaven and, and uh, you know, had, uh, had the riches of heaven, but left that to be broken. And uh, the picture here, he hath taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. Now, uh, the, if you can picture someone taking a, maybe a rag doll and getting that doll by the neck and just shaking it until it, it just went into all these pieces. That is a picture. I think Job is picturing his own suffering and uh, how his body, and evidently this disease that he had, had affected his whole body. And uh, we, we have seen already some descriptive verses talking about uh, what he went through. And, and verse 8 talked about the wrinkles and, and also the, uh, the weight loss, the leanness rising up. And, and uh, you will find other verses talking about the odor. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I have uh, been in, in hospital rooms with people that, uh, that, uh, that were, had a terminal disease, and, and sometimes the odor is very evident, uh, uh, you know, because of the effect of that disease. And, and this is the effect that it is having upon Job. So his whole body is affected by it. And Jesus, again, was torn and shaken and, and uh, uh, scourged and all this. Uh, then uh, he talks about uh, being set up for a mark and the archers shooting at him. Well, that was not, that's not a very pleasant comparison, but it's a picture of, of I think, the friends of Job. Uh, you know, you would think that here's a man in, in this kind of shape and and that, that somebody would come along and say a kind word to him. Even his wife said, curse God and die. And I think it, by making that statement, I, I don't think the Lord put that in her mind. I think the devil probably impressed on her mind. I think she's frustrated, and I can sympathize with her a lot because she had to go through everything that Job's going through except the, the physical suffering. Uh, and, uh, but she becomes a tool as well, and... Uh, seemingly nobody has anything nice to say to him and uh, except the Lord when the Lord, the Lord himself defends Job in the end there and aren't you glad you can always count on him <laughs> when you can't count on anyone else in the world you can count on him Amen. he'll never leave us and never forsake us and uh, that's a blessed truth uh, uh, but you know again uh, to be a type of Jesus. See, these things are happening in his life. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes God may allow things in our life uh, to show some lost sinner the way to God and have an impression on their life. Uh, but Jesus, you remember, even the disciples, the Bible said they all forsook him and fled. And there he is left alone with his enemies. And here we have, uh, again, Job being a type of that. Uh, he talks about his reins. When the, when the Bible speaks of the reins, and he's primarily speaking of the kidney area, the back area, and uh, he cleaveth his reins. His kidneys have been cut apart, uh, you know, and uh, the gall, uh, the gallbladder uh, pierced and, and uh, 
being poured out upon the ground. Again, these are pictures of, of in those days when they fought with swords and spears and all uh, to try to get a vital area to bring death to the individual. And uh, then uh, verse 14 describes breach upon breach. Uh, the, it was this wound after wound, uh, this waves of attack uh, that uh, came and, uh, you know, until, uh, until Seymour there was no hope. And, and the picture is confronting a giant. And, of course, you read in the Bible about giants. Uh, you know, look at some of these basketball players and you, they must be a resurgent of gianthood. I don't know. They, uh, but uh, even the tallest of these basketball players are not even anywhere close to those nine foot, over nine feet men. And, and uh, they, they were huge and, and it's un, unreal. But that's the, the idea here. And, and again, these verses, I think, and it's give me a new insight into the book of Job and and on why maybe Job is having to go through what he went through. And I believe one of the reasons, as I mentioned in the beginning, is to, to be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, God in the Old Testament used shadows and types and picture stories and used people's lives to, uh, to portray the Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, uh, uh, you remember when uh, Moses smote the rock in the wilderness. That was a picture of the smiting of Christ. And then when he, later on in the journey, the Lord told him to speak to the rock, but Moses became frustrated with the people and he smote it twice again. And the Lord says, you've done wrong. You've done a terrible thing and because of that, you're not going into the promised land. You just, you read that just at first reading and you think, well, uh, you know, you think, Lord, isn't that a little harsh? Uh, you know, I mean, he just hit the rock. Aren't you being a little, a little hard on him? And yet when you realize in, in, in the context that what God was doing was, uh, you know, they were teaching truth. They were treat, teaching spiritual truth from God, doctrinal, foundational truths. And, and uh, by, that, by that act in disobeying God, he was presenting a false message. And the Lord could not permit that. And, you know, I, I wonder if, you think about that. I wonder what a lot of preachers are going to have to answer for. You know, when, they, when they're preaching false doctrine and, and uh, telling, telling things and misrepresenting the Word of God and, and uh, saying things the Lord didn't really say, if, if the Lord was, you know, if that was, uh, uh, you know, seemed to be strong judgment upon Moses, what is, what's going to happen in the future? No wonder Paul writes about the judgment seat of Christ and says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And he's describing the judgment seat of Christ. And he's talking to believers. They could be saved. That's God's business. We leave that with him. I think a person could be misinformed, maybe. But I believe a person that willfully, a person that says Jesus Christ was not a virgin, virgin born and all that, I don't think they're saved. Uh, you know, uh, certainly when it comes down to doctrinal truth. Well, let's move on. Verse 15, he said, I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. And this, of course, literally happened there uh, to Job. Uh, and uh, he was no match for the enemy, so he dumbled himself in sackcloth and ashes in chapter 2 of Job. And 
And verse number 8, And he took them a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. And then in Job 30 and 19, it says, uh, He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. And in Psalm 7 and verse number 5, it says, uh, Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. And here we have uh, uh, other verses describing this uh, desperate condition. This was a normal practice when a person was afflicted. It was a sign of humility and a sign of, uh, of suffering. Uh, that they would put sackcloth on and go to the ash pile. Uh, verse 16, My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Again, we have some more descriptive language of what Job is going through. He had cried and wept uh, until his face was foul with weeping until he had no more power to weep through his sufferings. And I have seen people weep over the years in times of sorrow. And it breaks your heart, tears at your heartstring, and you wish that you could wave a magic wand if there was such a thing uh, and uh, cause all their sorrow to go away, but you can't do that. You can only pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to get inside where you cannot get and bring comfort to hurting hearts and you know you try to say words at funeral that might be an encouragement a blessing to people but seemingly no matter what you say it isn't enough the grief is too great and it just takes time don't it and it takes the Lord and I don't know what people do that don't have the Lord I don't know how they handle it some don't some are not able to some turn to drugs and drink and everything else to try to deal with that Sorrow. But uh, his face was foul with weeping, and on my eyelids, he says, is the shadow of death. Uh, you know, there's something about uh, uh, a terminal disease that, uh, something about death, you, you know, you, you can just, it's, it affects the eyes, doesn't it? Uh, if you've visited, you know, people, been, and all of us have been around people, you know, that have, that have uh, faced death and and it's just written in the eyes. Something about the eyes. Uh, you just look at their eyes and, and the, the darkness in the eyes and the sunken, sunken places, the eyes kind of sink back. And, and it's, it's that picture. And here you have this Job is describing. I mean, he's dying. Uh, he's describing death and, uh, and is really as prayed that it might hasten, <laughs> that it might come on and and uh, take him out of his suffering and his sorrow. We saw in Isaiah 53 there, let me give you that again in verse number 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Did Jesus weep? Sure he did. We have him weeping over Jerusalem there. And uh, you know, uh, when he realized that they had rejected him, their only hope, their only way of escape. You know, Peter says there, when many of them 
go away and walk no more with him. And uh, Jesus says to Peter, will you also go away? <laughs> uh, and uh, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Uh, if we reject you, where are we going to turn to? If we don't have the Lord, who do we have? If we can't turn to Him, who can we turn to? Uh, so the Lord uh, was broken there and realizing that they had rejected their only hope, their only way of salvation. So he wept. The, the picture of death was was on his eyes and, and uh, it looked like there was not any hope for him. But uh, thank God, uh, you know, we have the whole book. It's, uh, you know, it's a story that, uh, that looks pretty desperate at this time, but it all ends out all right. In the case of Job, so in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stop there because verse 17 picks up a new section and we have Job's appeal in these verses that follow and goes on into chapter, we're going into chapter 17 with his continued answer. Uh, and uh, he will appeal his innocence as he has done uh, several times already against the attack of these friends of his.